Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Lynn Latukas and Melissa Hortman. Lynn Latukas is the head of higher education and partnerships at Intuit, where she drives innovative initiatives and programs to foster financial literacy within higher education. Previously, Dr. Latukas served as Director of Education Strategy at Microsoft leading global skilling and product strategy in AI to help close the tech skills gap and empower educators and students. Prior to Microsoft, Lynn served as the Senior Director of Education and Certifications at SAS, where she led global teams that created and delivered scalable academic and workforce solutions to better align college career pathways. She is the author of Primetime Pundits, How Cable, News covers social issues and co editor of Measuring Success, Testing Grades, and the Future of College Admissions. Lynn earned her PhD from the University of Delaware in sociology with a focus on quantitative research methods. Melissa Hortman is a higher education leader in the areas of research innovation and academic transformation in Microsoft Education. Previous to Microsoft, she spent over 12 years in higher education in various roles supporting student success and was most recently an associate professor and director of instructional technology at the Medical University of South Carolina. Melissa is passionate about empowering faculty innovation and student resiliency to make higher education more agile and stronger during disruptions now and in the future. Welcome to the show, Lynn and Melissa. I'm so excited to have you both. So let's get started. Um, Lynn and Melissa, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? So we'll start with Lynn. Sure. Thanks, Jennifer, and, and very mm -hmm. excited and, and happy to be here. Um, throughout my career, you know, I've, I've always been interested in education. I worked in the education space, largely in, in ed tech, for about 15 years. First, um, starting as a, a faculty member in sociology, but largely taught courses in quantitative areas like research methods and social problems. And then um, I was a researcher at the College Board, really helping to redesign the SAT, digging into issues related to standardized testing and equity, mm. evaluating advanced placement programs, and then most recently working for two global tech companies. So serving um, as a leader of the global academic program at SAS and then leading education strategy, largely higher education for Microsoft. Throughout my career, it's really been kind of focused on, on skilling and, and bridging the, the gap, the skills gap from college to career for learners. That's great. Well, what a great career and, you know, how you got to where you are today. Melissa, can you share as a woman in tech how, how you got to where you are today? Sure. I feel like uh, tech started to be integrated early, early on, even in my education. So I got my undergrad degree in architecture. Um, and at the time that I was going through the degree, there was a lot of hands-on sketches and, you know, the traditional uh, way that architecture was done. But 3D modeling was just starting to get really big. And so we learned a lot about how computers can aid in what we're doing in our careers. And so I took that almost kind of uh, computer as an aid into all of my steps in my career. Um, after my master's, I um, was um, an advisor and 
somehow I became the person that updated our website uh, because I was interested in that, you know, and you just happen to mm -hmm. find these kind of things that you're interested in. And so after my doctorate uh, completed and, and kind of got more into the faculty side, I, I helped to um, transition a lot of our courses at my university. Um, online and how we could leverage uh, innovative technology in the classroom. And so I've always kind of had it, you know, engaged in some sort of way. And so I, I took the jump from um, academia into the tech space, into Microsoft and still feel, you know, I haven't really left education because I'm still part of Microsoft education, but I still have that computer as an aid and guide on the side sort of thing, uh, feel into what I do. It's the human is always at the center, but tech has become um, something that's just a part of our lives and part of our career and part of what we do, everyone's career. So how can we help enable that? And that's what I love to do now. I love that you took tech into your career, welcomed it and didn't resist it. You know, lots of people <laughs> do resist it. So I love that. And there was no resistance. You just included tech. And I love the guide on the side. I love that. Yeah. So great job. Great job. <laughs> All right. So Lynn, I'll go back to you. Um, so you were both in traditional faculty teaching and research roles when you began your career postdoctorate. When did you first begin thinking about incorporating tech into your work? Yeah, um, you know, I think very similar to what Melissa just described. I really thought about technology as being central to the work my the, to the work I do, even dating back to um, a lot of the my work in graduate school. So the courses that I was completing myself, but then also serving as um, an instructor to course to courses as well. And I I had read a lot of research, you know, really thinking about how to be an effective instructor and found that students in my classrooms were not only, you know, more engaged by using technology, but it really helped improve their outcomes. So increasingly, I started incorporating a lot of tools and technologies um, that that I knew that students would be exposed to on the job. And I think, you know, in the academy, that's not really something um, especially in the social sciences where I was, especially in the humanities, mm -hmm. it's not something that we really talk enough about, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about the importance of that college to career pathway. Um, what are tools that that students are going to need to learn to really be successful in those jobs? So I was constantly thinking about data analysis tools and then even presentation tools and polling and surveying and all of these different types of technologies and trying to make sure that students were comfortable with them so they could be really ready for success in day one. So really kind of thinking about that arc of an educator and really focused on those the student learning outcomes was kind of central for me right away. I love that. I love that you take technology to get you data so that you can make mm -hmm. educated decisions on that. And that's so vital in business as well as in academia. I mean, both sides, right? Mm -hmm. So that's great that you took it alongside of you. Um, Lynn, I know you um, you had a lot of you know technology from the analysis side, whereas um, Melissa, you had more on um, you know working with your day-to-day -day tasks. Uh, anything you want to add, Melissa, to um, beginning tech and incorporating it into your work? Well, I am not uh, trained in tech. I have all my okay. degrees in 
anything else besides technology. But what I found is that, um, like I said from the beginning, it, it's kind of been uh, been a part of my life and and an interest of mine. And so, um, I I always tell people that are interested in getting into tech is that. Um, all of our skills are translatable, and if you have a passion in figuring things out or helping to provide solutions or just thinking of a bigger picture, uh, you know, tech can, it, it, you can incorporate tech into your work in any sort of way and, and work in tech even. So, so I think that, you know, as as we all uh, women in tech think about um, what's next for us or, or how are we using our skills, just know that I, I mean, I'm trained in education. Linwood's trained in education. We both have mm -hmm. that traditional faculty teaching side and um, and still can be a leader in tech. And so I think that that's the most important kind of thing to think about in my in my career journey. Looking back is, you know, it's it, you can translate your skills um, yeah. and you can be a leader anywhere. I love that. I love that you didn't let it be a barrier. You know, there's so many women that think of it as a barrier sometimes because they're like, oh, I'm not good at technology. But it's really the logical side of it that really works. Like Lynn was saying, you know, she took the data, analyzed it for the benefit of academia. And that's so important to be able to see that. And I give you both a lot of credit for being able to, you know, just welcome it into your day to day lives. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Now, universities tend to be slower to adapt to change compared to industry. I've seen that myself when we hired a couple of people from academia. It was very, very hard for them to adjust. Uh, how did this impact your work at the university? You know, I think, uh, you know, so I would absolutely agree. I think, you know, in terms of pace, um, universities, certainly more so than, than other industries, or I guess education, certainly more so than other industries, do mm -hmm. really tend to lag behind industry. And I think, you know, it's largely due probably to their structure. So, you know, in my experience, they seem to be kind of less of a focus on adopting, adopting new tech as soon as it was, as it was available. And, and mm -hmm. this was largely due to, in many cases, the distributed nature of a university, sometimes lack of resourcing, and then mm -hmm. largely for staff, um, there tends to be, if it just seems counterintuitive to an academic environment, but kind of less of a focus on learning and development for um, employees that are in kind of more of a staff role. And I think also work tends to be pretty distributed through task forces mm -hmm. that take a long time to really delineate on direction. There's this core focus on you know consensus building and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing but what it what it means is that it takes a long time to mm -hmm. really kind of get buy-in in a university environment where there's and there's little sense of urgency and there also tends to be kind of a less focus on job readiness and 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 skill development so i think you know for those reasons there just tends to be you know, less of a focus and that um, less of a need or interest in kind of adapting to that change, um, you know, compared to what you might see in other industries. So did you follow their pattern or did you kind of do more like industry? How did you uh, yeah. adjust? 
You know, I think that's actually one of the reasons that I made the shift early mm -hmm. on in my career from that traditional academic environment. So when I was right. in graduate school, I actually um, thought and, and was preparing to be, you know, a full-time faculty member. Um, I was on tenure track in my first year, and it was really in that first year um, where I realized, you know, I tend to thrive in these more dynamic, fast-paced environments. I was constantly learning and wanting to incorporate more tech into, into my instruction, into the research that I was doing, using, as you mentioned, Jennifer, a lot of that data mm -hmm. uh, to really drive a lot of my work. And I felt like I could have a much bigger impact in industry, but still kind of impacting that education space. So for me, mm -hmm. it actually was um, that different dynamic, that pace that actually um, created the conditions for why I wanted to move towards um, towards more of a technology role or a, it working in the tech industry. Okay, that's great. Yeah, it is definitely a different pace. Like I said, I hired a couple of people and they struggled to keep up with the fast pace of industry versus academia. So, and it is the structure that dictates that. So I think you're absolutely 100% correct. So Melissa, what was the reception of others to your work? I think very similar to Lynn. Uh, I had I seem to have a very uh, common experience where um, I I will call myself a bit of a disruptor uh, mm -hmm. in each of my <laughs> roles that I fell into and um, made some waves that were a bit different than what higher education was maybe used to. That traditional sort of sense of this is our rhythm, this is this is our lane, this is what we stay in. Mm -hmm. um, I, during my uh, dissertation, I concentrated on uh, disruptive innovations in higher <laughs> education. And I thought, oh, this is, this is it for me, right? So I wanted to dive deeper. I wanted to be on that cutting edge. Um, and help support others that wanted to be there as well. And so for me, the reception probably wasn't, you know, always positive, mm -hmm, but there, mm -hmm. there were bright lights of, you know, those faculty um, who would partner with me and, and lean in and lean forward and try out new things, which was very, very scary. And in a promotion and tenure world, you might not have that space, time and space to do that. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I think that there's, there's, of course, an innovation curve for all faculty in higher education. But for myself, I just found that maybe I just wasn't on that curve at all. I just, you know, I, I wanted to do more. I wanted to seek out more. So very similar to Lynn, I made that jump to tech where I could be in a more dynamic space to to support some of those big, crazy ideas that I had as a faculty That's member. That's great. I love that you're a disruptor. You're creating waves because I think they do need to change. That's just my opinion. You know, it just mm -hmm. if you're going from academia into industry, you need to have that background of how industry moves very, very quickly. And it takes an adjustment in order to do that. And it's not for everyone. So I, I do think, you know, there's structure, but it, it's a big, big ship to turn. You know, it's not easy, mm -hmm. but it does need to happen at some level. But I love that you're a disruptor. You're creating waves. You're actually bringing people on your side. I love that. That is great. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, Lynn, you were in academia in a tenure track for a short time and then transitioned to industry. It's generally not common for people to make this change. They usually stay, you know, one one 
industry or the other, industry or academia. Can you share more about this experience? Why and how did you make the change? Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, you know, I, I fell into the academic environment because I really, I loved research. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you'll notice a theme in my responses here that I really love, you know, data and really analyzing information. Right. I love um, the autonomy that you have in a faculty role to kind of really explore what you're passionate and excited mm -hmm. about. Um, and really kind of educating and preparing that next next generation. But mm -hmm. you know, when I got when I was in that first um, faculty job, what I found is that um, in addition to, you know, that pace of change that that we were just discussing, it was a lot of committee work. I just didn't really have that broad impact that I wanted mm -hmm. to have. And it mm -hmm. it wasn't that it wasn't important. It just wasn't really the right fit for me. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes um, I think this is probably true for for a lot of folks, especially women. You know, you're not exposed. It, it's later in your career, in some cases, where you're exposed to all of the different opportunities and careers that you could have. You know, I, I didn't really have an understanding in high school and, and early in college what a particular role in the tech industry, or even um, as an educator or a faculty member, really might look like. So, as I was going throughout my career path and learning about these different disciplines and areas. Um, that's really where I found these different opportunities that I wasn't aware of. And that's what led um, actually to my first role at College Board. So it was this great environment where I was with um, other PhD level researchers. We got to really kind of focus on education using the skill sets that we learned in grad school, but really kind of tackling it from a different area. And, and for me, you know, I was simultaneously trying to figure out these new career paths and what these possibilities were based on the skills that I had gained and the interests that I had. But it really involved a lot of networking and conversations with folks in industry doing these different roles. And I, I really struggled back then to kind of figure out how to find the right sure. mentors and the right peers mm -hmm. that had made this jump. And I think it's a bit more common now, but especially 15 years ago, you know, it was um, it was something that was was tough to find in, in my PhD program. There was this very clear preference for that traditional academic track. I think a lot of faculty tend to mentor their graduate students mm -hmm. to kind of follow in their footsteps. So I very much went against the grain. And sometimes mm -hmm. in some cases it was accepted and in others it wasn't and it's still not. And I, yeah. you know, but I hope that with a lot of this work that I've done and that even Melissa's done that we, um, you know, can serve as sort of a mentor for others that are also grappling with these same challenges. I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking that. I thought <laughs> there are not a lot of people that that are have done this transition and have done it successfully, like both of you have. And so to help others that might be interested in that, because academia is not for everyone, industry is not for everyone, it's not right and wrong, it's just where they're comfortable and where their skill set matches, you know. So I love that you are willing to mentor and put that out there so that if there are people that are women, especially that are interested in making this jump. Uh, to talk to you and maybe gain some tips and gain some ideas and kind of work through it with you. Absolutely. I love that. Yep. No, that's great. So it sounds, Lynn, like you've really had a chance to bridge your expertise and experiences in both higher education and industry and workforce development throughout your career to date. So that's awesome. So, um, yeah. So, Melissa, 
you had your fifth foot in both sides of the institution, both teaching and instructional technology administration. What have you seen throughout your career as a benefit of having your expertise in instructional technology and traditional IT departments? Yeah, you know, I I came up in the ed tech world and um, taught in the classroom, and I think that that was probably the the most beneficial thing to me as a faculty member and as an administrator is mm-hmm. I I knew what was happening in the classroom. I was there and I was active. I was using the tools as an end user. Um, mm-hmm. But all, then on the other side, I was um, helping to onboard um, and sustain innovative technologies at the institution. And so I think that that helped me kind of think in, in two ways of being the end user and having empathy for people who are on the very, 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 very end of what mm-hmm. we're talking about, mm-hmm. especially in the tech world. We we talk about these big ideas and these big solutions, but at the very, 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 very end, there's the faculty and the student. And what mm-hmm. is that experience like? That's the most important thing and the only thing in my mind that matters, really. And, and how means- do they make the jump, right? How mm-hmm. do they move? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, thinking back to my time, having having the two feet in each side is um, probably the the most beneficial thing to me because I got to kind of see what it was like on one side and what it was like on the other and um, and helped me kind of figure out what what would be that next good step for me in my career. Kind of like Lynn, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, I didn't know that there were career paths uh, outside of academia, outside of the ed- traditional ed tech or the traditional faculty role um, for people like me who were a little, you know, different in in terms of what I wanted out of my career. And so um, I think that it really, again, helped me and opened up my eyes to to opportunities that maybe just weren't there in the first place. No, that's great. I I just think you both have done such an amazing job in really, I love that you started to have empathy for the roles that you had done, right? Because I, when I started my business, I had done every role in the business from sales to marketing, to operations, to instructing, to everything. And I had a certain empathy for each of those roles that came out in my management style. And I think that's really, really critical for people to know what it entails so that you know what the great things about that role is and what are the challenges in that role. Mm-hmm. And you, you really felt that with your empathy. And I think that's that's amazing. That's really, really great. All right, so um, Lynn and Melissa, this is for both of you. Um, You've both had the opportunity to serve in leadership capacities throughout your career. What is it like to be the only woman in the room when decisions are being made? We've we've been there, so just wanted to get your experience. (laughs) I I can uh, jump in first. Uh, You know, this... This is, it's really kind of close to my heart because uh, going back to my architecture days, uh, being mm-hmm. one of 11 women uh, in in the entire um, freshman class, uh, mm-hmm. one of, you know, only a few handful of women in the entire architecture program, it was, you were the only woman in the room a majority of the time. And so mm-hmm. what I felt, Uh, very, very early on is that I needed to find my voice, whatever that voice was. 
um, because I think that that's the most important thing and our most valuable asset that we have as a woman mm-hmm. is our voice and how we use that when when decisions are being made, when you're the only person in the room. And so I've taken that throughout my career and now being a woman in tech, again, back to that space where there's not a lot of women in the room a majority of the time. And so, you know, do I get looked at to just take notes? Do I, Mm -hmm. you you know what I mean? Just assuming those traditional roles versus I'm a leader and I'm contributing. And so changing the narrative, using my voice to change the narrative has been the most important thing for me, not just for me, but also those that come after me. So mm-hmm. um, so that's really what I've taken out of being a, a woman in leadership is find your voice, change the narrative, not just for you, but everybody that follows. That's great advice. That is great advice. And for you to know that early on is so critical because it's really, really difficult. I was like the only woman in class, the only woman in the room many, many, many times. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I needed to have a voice early on. I was young. Mm -hmm. I was just starting out. I didn't realize that until later on in my career where, you know, I figured it out. But Thank you for saying that, because that's so important. You know, there are some traditional roles that, you know, oh, she's going to take notes or she's going to get the coffee or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we want to kind of break that barrier. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, Melissa? Lynn. Oh, sorry. Lynn? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) No, absolutely. You know, I love this question, too. And and thinking about it, I, I... I, I think I've, I, I've experienced this throughout my career, but for me, one of the, the times I struggled with it with the most was when I moved into um, a senior leadership role at SAS. And, and for those of you that aren't familiar with SAS, it's, this, it's the largest privately held software company globally. Mm-hmm. So there's about 15,000 employees. And I was on the um, executive leadership team in the education division. And I was simultaneously the youngest member of that leadership team, but also wow. the only female. Mm. And you can ima- imagine a dynamic where you're you're new to a company where the tenure of folks, especially on that leadership team, was quite long. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that age gap. And then also, in many ways, I, I, I consistently felt like I was representing um, you know, this, this female voice that I didn't feel, you know, I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I didn't really feel mm-hmm. um, prepared to do so in many situations. And I, I learned to get better at this over time, but I was constantly struggling with things like how hard to push when you're the, the only woman in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I recall a time where I was really pushing for the improvement of a, of a process, of a system. Mm-hmm. And one of my, my male peers, my male colleagues made a comment that I, was, that I was aggressive. And, you know, reflecting on it later, I couldn't help but think, is this a comment that really would have been made if, if I wasn't was a female, a, yep, you know? Yep. Um, and I had been in the room many times where there were comments made um, like, you know, we are a diverse leadership team, Lynn is here. And it, mm-hmm. it was this constant struggle to kind of think about how um, I'm not only showing that I should be there, but I'm also paving the way for others 
um, to, to be in similar situations and in similar roles. So for me right away, it was really important to find that strong female mentor. And then as mm -hmm. I grew and became more confident and more comfortable, making sure that I was mentoring other women and giving back what I learned along the way. So That's I think, great. you know, in addition to Melissa talked a lot about finding your voice, which I think is essential. It took me a while to do that, but then, and then also, working to find myself that strong female mentor, but then also giving back to make sure that others didn't um, encounter or were able to better handle some of those challenges that I found along the way. So true. Mm -hmm. And thank you for putting out and giving back and learning uh, or teaching or mentoring women that may not have been had that female mentor, you know, and I think this is so important. So thank you for that. All right, so let's move on to Melissa. Melissa, what challenges have you faced in your career and how have you overcome them? Oh, just one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Every day, right? <laughs> how, how much time do we have left in the podcast? Because, you know, I think that um, just being a, a woman in mm -hmm. the in the rooms that I've been in has probably been the biggest challenges that I've faced in my career. Um, a woman in, in many different ways, uh, being the only woman in the room or being a a, a, a woman who, uh, you know, you are in your mid-20s and you want to go up for that next leadership role, mm -hmm. but you're not quite there yet. So being told, grow where you are and understanding what that mm -hmm. means. Mm -hmm. um, being a woman and uh, trying to get, you know, uh, something moved forward without having, being being told that you're uh, aggressive or any of those things. I think there are a lot of um, challenges for women uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, male coworkers who have water talk and it's very uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I have two very young children. So going, going back to work after having children, there are so many challenges right. that I think um, I, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the strong women around me mm -hmm. um, and who have been encouraging me and supporting me. But I don't know that those challenges will go away. Um, some are systemic. Some are just challenges that we'll all face. Um, hopefully one day we won't face a majority of them. But I think that that's just kind of where we're at, you know. And so, again, having what are some of the things you. that you did to kind of overcome them? Because you've been through them. Yeah. What are some of the things? Was it self-talk? Was it where where did you find that voice to help you? I I. Uh, you know, this is a, that's a tough question to answer. I, I don't know that I've I truly know. overcome some of them. I think mm -hmm. some still stick with me of the guilt of going back too early mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. having my first child and not bonding with her long enough right, because I right. felt the need to go back to work. Um, I have a great counselor and I believe in counseling and um, any sort of therapy where you can talk to somebody through your challenges. Um, I think the strong women around me have been a, a great resource for me, but just for my own mental health um, through a lot of these challenges and to be strong and, you know, keep even keel is, is a great, is a great counselor. So I've been very blessed to have um, 
uh, some wonderful female counselors that I've worked with, and they've really helped me a lot, kind of just overcome a lot of the challenges, point in time um, sort of things. Oh, that's great. So Lynn, what challenges have you faced in your career and how have you overcome them? Yes, you know, I um, plus one to everything that, that <laughs> Melissa just shared. I think mm-hmm. that for me, it was really kind of striking that that balance. So um, moving from academia to 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 the tech industry, for one, I, I very much felt like a fish out of water to start. It was I didn't have connections or a network. Um, as I mentioned, I, I really needed to kind of build um, that community of, of peers to really help figure out this new environment that I was in. And then as I got more comfortable, even now, I, I'm, I sometimes struggle or often struggle with striking this balance between how do I remain um, and come across, across as confident without um, looking aggressive or unapproachable? How do I make sure that I am really being collaborative as possible without being perceived as weak, particularly mm-hmm. in an environment that tends to be uh, dominated by males. So it's st- kind of constantly struggling with this balance of, of different behaviors and emotions and personas. And I think for me, one of the ways that I found that's been really helpful to kind of grasp and kind of process this balance is kind of finding your tribe, you know, being vulnerable with other strong females and, and women. Melissa's actually one of them. Um, to, to really, you know, when you find, when you come across an issue that is potentially struggle, um, challenging, talk through it with other women, because I think through sharing, through being vulnerable with others that might be experiencing the same thing or may in the future, it helps you process it and you can work together to really think through what's the best way to approach this the next time that it happens. Oh, that's great. Yes. I, I love landing your tribe, you know, get a group of women that are your you're on your side and can help you and really understand what you're going through, have been there, done it, you know, those types of things. I met a woman on the plane and we are now really good friends, but it's because we can both talk business at a level that most other women can't talk to each other about. And we love that because we have, you know, bonded on that. So I think finding the right women in your tribe is so important. So start thinking about that and start building it. And the tribe can be two or three women to start with doesn't have to be 10, you know? Yes, so, and I think it can right. be, you can have sort of different tribes for, for different situations. Different I think as Absolutely. women, we all wear different hats. So I mean, kids are really good with that. They go to mom for one thing, they go to dad for another, and they know who to ask for what. So, <laughs> so true. No, that's great. All right. So let's go to, <clears throat> let's go to Melissa. Melissa, as you know, this podcast is focused around bridging the culture, pay, and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing in in the industry today from your lens? Well, I think there's a lot of good happening. Um, I think uh, a lot ha- a lot of transparency um, from industry is starting to really happen for women. Um, Women in leadership roles specifically, uh, we're starting, I, you know, I, I love Microsoft because I see so many women in leadership roles and it's so mm-hmm. inspiring me for it me is, to yep. see that women are reaching that 2% uh, level. And that's really, really great because I it gives me hope that 
the glass ceiling isn't so clearly painted where I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that there is a very strong culture at Microsoft for supporting other women and mm -hmm. ensuring that women thrive. Lynn and I connected at Microsoft and we've been great colleagues because we support one another. We're, we're each other's tribe, you know, for those hard things that we go through. Nice. And that I think is that culture that has really been cultivated for me here um, versus you know, a lot of other places that I've been is I've seen seen women above me, I've seen women around me, and they're all strong women. And that's just so encouraging to be around. That's great. That's great. Very true. Very, very true. I mean, it's just, it's such a dynamic world right now. And when you say 2%, that sounds like nothing, but it's a big progress, right? Mm -hmm. And when it's like we call in Arizona, we say, oh, 100 degrees is cool. It's not cool, <laughs> <laughs> but it is compared to the other temperatures that we have in the summer. Right, so it's right. just really funny. Yeah. So it's just a relative thought process. All right. So Lynn, tell me what you're seeing from your lens. Yeah, I am. So I... You know, I think that that two percent that Melissa just spoke to is is just really sobering. So mm -hmm. we've made tremendous progress, but and, and when I look around Microsoft um, at SAS at, at College Board as well, it it was um, really really comforting and inspiring to see a lot of um, strong women increasingly in leadership roles. But I still think there's a lot of underrepresentation, especially women mm -hmm. of color, that is mm -hmm. that are underrepresented in STEM. And I think. You know, Melissa mentioned a few minutes ago some of these issues really being systemic, and I, it it really that underrepresentation really starts early in education and then continues in the workforce. So, I think it's increasingly important that we really look to to middle school and to high school as well as well as college. But in some cases, it's almost too late to really get more women involved in STEM and Absolutely. help find those strong female mentors. So I think that underrepresentation is key and just recognizing that we've made some progress. So we're on the right path, but we need to keep pushing in, in, able, in order to really continue to kind of tap at that glass ceiling, as mm -hmm. Melissa mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have to start from girls 8 to 13, because mm -hmm. that's when we can really make that impression. And yes. that's when they're going to grow into a role that they think is good for them. Because once you get to high school, you're not going to find it. You know, they're, they're done. Their mindset mm -hmm. is set. So, yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And there is really underrepresentation in uh, women of color and, um, you know, minorities and those types of things. So we have a lot of work to do there. But, um, but we are making progress. So we have to hold on to that and continue to move forward. That's really important. Mm -hmm. All right. So Lynn and Melissa, who inspires you and why? So whoever wants to go first. Oh, I am. Okay. <laughs> so many women, but, um, you know, so I, th I think my initial reaction, I guess I would say is the person living or, 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 um, no longer with us. I think, um, overall, the, the first person that comes to mind is is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, she yeah. was a lifelong champion for gender equality, for civil rights, for women's rights. And she played mm -hmm. such a significant role in striking down so many landmark discriminatory laws throughout mm -hmm. her career. 
I, uh-huh. you know, I really miss having her on the court. And I, I also really appreciated her sharp wit and her, um, <laughs> her, her stylish dress. So I think she really uh-huh. just encapsulated, you know, a lot of, of what we are, we were striving for as, uh-huh. as women when we're focused on a crop quality. So I think she's phenomenal. Um, if I think about present day, you know, Michelle Obama really inspires me. She's articulate uh-huh. and compassionate and I, she's and increasingly a really powerful yep. voice in education, yep. you know, promoting yep. early childhood, college access. And I think beyond those two um, kind of um, significant figures, it's it's really women that support and help each other, even when it doesn't directly benefit them. Women that are serving as educators and mentors to support that next generation. Women that um, stand up and advocate for themselves and others, even when it's difficult and mo- not popular. So I think for me, there's a lot of different women that that inspire me every day. That is so, so awesome. I love I love all the things that you said because we want to have authentic women that can speak out and have a voice and be authentic and be real, you know, let's let's forget about the imposter syndromes and all of that and just be who you are but can grow and help us get to that next level. Great, great. So who is that? Was that Lynn? Yes. (laughs) Okay, Melissa, who inspires you and why? Well, all the people Lynn mentioned, I think uh, all of it. Uh, I wanna add uh, to that amazing group of women, um, my mom, that sounds Mm -hmm. super. No, that's right. um, You know, my mom has- Your first teacher. She's your first teacher. She's the one who has influenced me and inspired me and given so much to our family that Mm -hmm. that's, that's who I aspire to be. She is given to her community, to her church, to everyone around her. She gives and gives and gives all day. And she still has a smile on her face and time to talk to all of her children on the phone at night. Mm -hmm. So that sort of mentality of, um, being a light in the world is is really strong these days. And I I hope and you know that I can be like that to the people around me. Um, mm-hmm. And I've learned that and I'm still learning. I've got a lot to learn from my mom. Um, uh, so I can continue to do that for folks around me. That's great. And yeah, that's your first teacher. And if that is the person that really teaches you because my mom was very hardworking, very um, down to earth, and she just put her heart and soul into everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned mm-hmm. from her. You know, I don't try to do anything halfway because <laughs> she put that in me because my husband would sometimes say, oh, come on, you don't need to put that much energy into that. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, uh, I do. <laughs> if I do it, I put everything I have into it, you know, so that's that's great, great advice. All right, so here's a selfish question because I love to travel and I always ask for each of each of my guests as to what their favorite place was and why, because then I can maybe add it to my bucket list if it sounds great. So Lynn, what is your favorite place that you've yeah. traveled to and why? <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I was actually a geography major as an undergrad mm-hmm. and um, really got interested in, in public efficient public transportation so for me and I love urban areas just the the culture the fast pace the busyness the food um so for me I actually really love London and 
And um, I, yeah, I'd love to live there someday. I wish actually a decade ago when I was a lot younger, I spent some time living in, a, in, in an urban core like a London or in New York City. But mm -hmm. I do, I have a trip coming up to the Netherlands, Belgium and France that I'm really excited about. So Jennifer, if you've traveled Ooh. to any of those places, I would love some insider tips. I have well. not. I've been to London. So I love, love, love <laughs> London for different reasons than you do. But <laughs> I love London and Netherlands. I have not been to. And where did you say? Sweden. I said Belgium and France. Belgium and France. And I've been to France, but just on a um, cross flight. You know, the flight was sure. there. And then I went after a couple hours right to Amsterdam. So I, I didn't really spend enough time in that culture, but I want to. That That's on my list. So oh, you have to let me know all about this trip <laughs> because it sounds fabulous. When are you going? In oh, I'm going month? in April. In April, yeah. In so April. you know, okay, seeing nice. the tulips, going to Europe in the spring is yes, um, yes. really exciting. That's really great. I'm going to Portugal in October, oh, so I'm really, fantastic. really excited because I planned this whole trip and it took a long time to plan, but it's really fun. So mm -hmm. I'm excited. All right, so um, Melissa. Well, what, I'll what? swing the I'll swing the pendulum the other way. Okay. Uh, because I'm a big kid at heart, so mm -hmm. uh, my favorite place to travel is Disney World. Oh, I'm, mine too. <laughs> I'm I'm that person who I just want to get away, and it's just it's just a great place to feel free. Yep. Um, from all the responsibilities and uh, my parents started taking us when we were very very young as mm -hmm. a family and getting to do that as a family was so important to us and so now having young children and getting to see the joy through their eyes um, it's just a next level of refreshment that I need I wish on a monthly basis more like a quarterly basis we get down there but it's uh it's just the place where we like to get away and I, I think it's important everybody has that that place you know where they can I love feel that. free they can feel like they can breathe so that's that's my place <laughs> I love it and we're Disney Vacation Club members and oh, so we, <laughs> we love it yeah we love it we're in fact going there in a week or so and uh Wonderful. just my husband and I without kids this time <laughs> But even that's fun, you know, because it yes. is just the joy that you feel like all your responsibilities are gone and you're just here in this magical place. Absolutely. So I love it. Great, 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 great. Okay. Well, this was such a pleasure to both of you. I really, really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure to speak with you and really hear your stories and kind of live through understanding how we can be better. So that's really amazing. So if you can share, uh, Lynn and Melissa, one at a time, please share how our listeners can get a hold of you. Uh, sure. So I, um, I, you know, the best way to, to um, get a hold of me is, you know, honestly, probably through LinkedIn. Yeah, I think um, so. I would say just using my my contact information, I'm I'm pretty responsive that way. So I think contact me directly through social media is probably the best way. And we'll put it in the notes as well. So That's that'll great. be there. Okay. And, same and for me. Mm -hmm. yeah, same for me. LinkedIn is the best way to get in contact with me. And I'd love to meet other strong women who are, you know, in tech, looking at tech, um, to hear their stories and, and hopefully help people along the way. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys were such a pleasure to be with and an honor to have you on the show. Really, really appreciate you. Thanks again.
Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.